All right, church family, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. Genesis chapter 12. Last week, we looked at what many scholars describe as the keystone text to understanding the entirety of our Bibles. Many, many scholars speak of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, as of cardinal importance in the Christian's life. Last week, we considered God's commitment to bless his people through Abram and through his descendants. What a wonderfully encouraging passage that was. And, and now, we're going to look at the second half of Genesis chapter 12, which, upon first reading, appears to be far less encouraging, far less uplifting than the first half of Genesis chapter 12. But church, I believe that God has tremendous good for us here as well. And so we're going to begin this, mo this morning by reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. It says this, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to, for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning to our hearts and to our souls and for his glory. Friends, have you ever had a mountaintop experience in your Christian life? I'm confident that you are because I think all of us have at one time or another had this sort of, of mountaintop experience. Whether it's the moment that we put our faith in Jesus for the very first time or some other subsequent experience when we saw Jesus more clearly than before and felt God's presence more powerfully. We've all had these mountaintop experiences that, that offer somewhat of a spiritual high, a moment when we feel like, like we could not possibly be closer to God and that, that we will never forget him again and never move from that place of closeness to him. And so maybe you're a, a high school student and you've been on a retreat and you remember the, the nearness that you felt to God during that retreat. Or maybe you've been to a, a Christian conference and it was particularly powerful to you. Or maybe you remember a season of life when you were a part of a ministry and, and you felt a, a call of God on your life through that ministry in a particular way that strengthened you. 
Maybe it's a particular season of life, like when you were in college and a part of a student ministry with with like-minded students who loved Jesus and were wanting to live more for Jesus. Maybe it's a season of your family life when you and your spouse or you and your kids seem to want nothing more than to live for Jesus and to, to be a part of his church. We've all had these mountaintop experiences, haven't we? These mountaintop experiences that have left us resolved to live for God in all areas of life. These experiences leave us wanting to go all in with Jesus. We've all had these moments. We all love these mountaintop experiences. But we've also always come down from the mountain, right? We've all come down from the mountain. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, you know what it is to not be on top of the mountain any longer. You know what it is to wake up on Monday morning after having had that incredible experience at church, after being so resolved to live for Jesus in a new and fresh way, only to have the weak smack you in the face like a ton of bricks. You, you all know what it is to come down from the mountain. You all know what it is to come crashing down off the mountain, either because of your own battle with sin or some other difficulty in life. We all know what it is to come down from the mountain. In fact, for many of us, we know what it is to live most of our Christian lives at the foot of the mountain. And friends, oftentimes I think that we can wonder to ourselves, what what is wrong with with me? How how come our lives can't be lived more consistently on on the mountaintop? How come that experience that we had can't last longer than it did? How come it is so hard to get back to that place and to experience that power in the same way? Well, friends... If that is your experience in the Christian life, you need to know this morning that you are not alone. You're not alone in this room and you are not alone from the the bold testimony of Scripture. We all know what it is to come down from the mountaintop experiences and to wonder if we can ever get back there. Even Abram knows what it's like. Friends, upon first inspection, this text is far less encouraging than last week's passage. The man Abram, who was just given incredible promises from God and who was so filled with faith in God that he left his father's house and journeyed to the land of Canaan and built altars there to the Lord to remind himself of how God could be trusted. Abram had an incredible mountaintop experience, maybe like none other. But now, in verses 10 to 20... He comes crashing down off of that mountain experience. He comes crashing down hard as he begins to lack faith and as his fear grows and as he makes horrific decisions for himself and for his family, even as he basically offers his wife to another man. Folks, while that should be somewhat discouraging to us, It should also encourage us because this text is intended to remind us of how our lives in Christ are not dependent upon the strength and the permanency and the consistency of our faith in God, but rather our lives in Christ, our lives in Jesus, and the hope that we have in him are dependent on the reliability of his word and the trustworthiness of his promises. And friends, that's exactly the message that we need to hear this morning, right? Here's our main idea for our message today. God's reliability does not depend on the stability of your faith. 
God's reliability does not depend on the stability of your faith. We have three points this morning. Point number one, the constancy of our trials. Point number two, the instability of our faith. And point number three, the reliability of God's word. Let's look at the first one. Point number one, the constancy of our trials. These verses are so sorrowful as we see Abram, the great man of faith, who who just left his kindred in his father's house because of his great faith in God. These verses are so sad as we see this man respond to difficulty with incredible fear and faithlessness. It, it highlights the instability of Abram's faith. It's, it's almost shocking to compare this passage to what we read last week. However, it's important to begin this morning by noticing the, the context for Abram's fear and faithlessness. Look, look at verse 10, the first half of verse 10. It simply says, now there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Now, Famines were not uncommon in that day. Throughout the Middle East, agricultural communities could be greatly affected by by drought and by subsequent famine. The the weather in that area is very unpredictable. And so for those who rely on agriculture to survive, famine was and is a very hard reality. Famine meant that they didn't didn't have what they, they wanted or what they thought they needed to survive. Folks, it's important to notice, though, as we begin here, how plainly and directly the text speaks of this famine. It simply says, now there was a famine in the land. And then then it mentions how it was very severe. But but I think that the way that this is mentioned in such a a matter-of-fact way is is significant for us. The the text does not speak of this as as an unexpected catastrophe. It doesn't speak of it like, like it does of Noah and the flood and the terrible consequences from that. No, it just simply says with, with no introduction and no known reason behind it, now there was a famine in the land. Folks, this speaks to the ongoing presence of sin and sorrow in our lives and in this sin-sick world that we live in. And listen, again this week, it speaks against the prosperity gospel which is so strong in our day, doesn't it? Because listen, if ever there was a man who had faith that was strong enough to bring material blessing into his life and to change his circumstances, it would have been the man named Abram. Yet here we see that even after his remarkable faith in the first part of chapter 12, there's still famine in the land. Listen, The level of your faith in God does not have a direct effect upon your circumstances in your life. Your level of faith determines how you respond to your circumstances, but it does not necessarily change the circumstances that God may or may not have you walk through. See, even as we saw last week, God's amazing promises to to bless Abram. Even as we saw his remarkable response of faith, I think that many of us would expect that Abram's existence, his entire life from this point on, would just be euphoric, just perfect. No more difficulty, no more pain, no more sorrow. That God's blessing in his life would just bring about a peace and a a perfection that was almost immune to the pandemic of sin throughout the world. But what we see here is that the curse of sin Continues. The curse of sin has not been fully dealt with. Sin continues to negatively affect this world and the lives of God's people in this world. Church, 
This is the loud testimony of Scripture. And I'm glad it's the loud testimony of Scripture because I think it resonates with all of our daily experience, right? This, this world, like Paul said and like we agree with, is groaning under the weight of sin. This world is broken. It hurts on a daily basis. All of our lives are marked by famine. All of our lives are marked by pain in some way. And so, friend, listen, where do you feel the famine in your life today? Where, where are you left feeling needy and hungry, wanting something more or different? Where are your trials? Is it in relationships? Are you just longing for, for deeper friendship with those around you? Do you just battle loneliness at all times? Are you longing for that romantic relationship? Is it, is it a famine of provision? Have you lost your job or are you fearful of losing your job? Are you more financially needy at this point in life than you ever thought that you would be? Is it a famine of joy? Have you forgotten what it is to not feel depression? Is it a famine of, of respect from others? Do you, do you live in a context where people are always belittling you and demeaning you and not caring for you? And do you just long for a change in those relationships? Is it, is it a famine of fulfilled dreams? Do you just feel like everyone else around you has what they desire and yet you are left wanting and there seems no end in sight? Folks, I think at this time of year with New Year's and, and the month of January, many of us love to think and plan and create new New Year's resolutions and, and seek to start the year off in a good and strong way. But I know that that is not all of us here. For many of us, the start of the year is just yet another reminder that our life is not what we want it to be. Every calendar year that goes by is just another reminder of the constancy of trials in our lives, the constancy of pain and sorrow and disappointment, the constancy of, of marital difficulty or, or the constancy of unwanted singleness or of rebelling children or of difficult parents to deal with. New Year's is not easy for everybody. It's just a reminder of how another year has gone by with difficulty. But friends, there should be some comfort for us this morning in how matter-of-fact Scripture is about all of this. Our trials are not an abnormality, nor are they a sign of weakness or lack of faith in us. The, the great man of faith, Abram, dealt with famine. He walked through trials like this. We should all expect the same in our lives until the final day when God says enough is enough. This is the constancy of, of trial. We live in a fallen and broken world. Now the question is what do we do when we deal with the famine in our lives? What do we do? Where do we go? And that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the instability of our faith. Verse 10 states the reality of the famine very matter-of-factly, but then it says that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. That, that word sojourn means to dwell in a place that is not your home for an indefinite period of time. And so it seems like Abram, because of this famine, which was severe, was leaving the land of Canaan, which God had promised to him, and was going to Egypt in order to find what he felt like he needed in order to survive. Now, 
the, the text in front of us does not directly indict or condemn this act on Abram's part. It actually seems like a, a somewhat logical step for Abram to, to take, to go to Egypt. Because Egypt was generally immune to famine because of the supply of water that came from the Nile River. And so, so this seems like a normal, logical step to take. And the, and the text does not highlight how this is a bad thing directly. However, being that this is written by Moses to the Israelites who had just escaped from Egypt, and being that biblically speaking, particularly in the Pentateuch, Egypt is almost never spoken of as a good place. It's never spoken of as a place where there is faith and trust in God. Through this, it seems like Moses is highlighting that even the going down to Egypt to to find provision, which was practically logical, was not an act of faith and trust in God. And so here we see the first step of instability in Abram's faith. Because listen, just one verse before, we saw that Abram had walked by remarkable faith. He had trusted God enough to leave the security and the provision of his kindred and his his father's house. We saw last week how incredible that was, how courageous of him. Abram's faith was so strong. It's an example for us to follow, and Scripture says that it's an example for us to follow. But now, just a verse later, we see him leaving the promises of God behind and, in a very real sense, trying to take matters into his own hands. How quickly he fell off the mountaintop experience of fully trusting God's promises. Folks, who of us here cannot relate to Abram in this moment? Our faith in God is so weak and unstable, isn't it? Our faith goes up and down every single day. You know what? Our our faith in God, you know what it's like? It's, It's remarkably similar to our dieting plans and to our workout regimens and to all of our other New Year's resolutions. Folks, I don't don't know about you, but when I start a new diet plan or a new workout regimen, I pretty much think that that after one or two days of being on that plan, that I have fully conquered my eating habits, I have fully conquered my laziness, and I am now and forever will be a specimen of health and fitness. Just after a day or two, I'm pretty much confident that I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and that I will until the day I'm 60 years old. I just have a great confidence about that. But folks, maybe you should ask me about these things in February. Maybe you should ask me about these things in April or May or October or maybe even just next week. How are these New Year's resolutions going then? See, in all areas of life and in our faith in God in particular, our lives are not constant. Not at all. We, we go up and down all the time. What, what we think we have figured out in one moment is turned upside down and forgotten the next moment. And what we see in this text in, in a very sobering way is that the instability of our faith along with the constancy of our trials is the perfect recipe for disaster in the Christian's life. What, what we see in Abram's life is that his lack of faith In connection to a a trial like a famine, his lack of faith led him to greater and greater lack of faith. By forgetting God's promises and by taking matters into his own hands, Abram begins to make very poor decisions for himself and for his family. Lack of faith leads to greater lack of faith. Look, Look at where Abram's lack of faith gets him. 
He goes to Egypt because of fear and lack of faith in God's provision for him. And then as soon as he gets to Egypt, his fears multiply and he thinks that Pharaoh is going to take his wife from him and then kill him. He's scared for his own well-being. He's forgotten the promises of God from just up in verse 3 where God said that he would bless him and curse those who curse him. God had promised protection. And Abram's forgotten that now and he thinks that he's going to die. And so in an insanely selfish moment, he puts his wife into a vulnerable and dangerous place. Not, not just vulnerable. Folks, this this text leads us to believe that Abram's decision led to Sarai being taken by Pharaoh and to her being added to his harem. There's nothing in this text that says that Pharaoh did not sleep with Sarah, that he did not have sexual relations with her. In fact, when it says in verse 15 that she was taken into Pharaoh's house, that almost certainly means that he slept with her at least once, Particularly, particularly when you think about how much time likely went by here. This wasn't just a day or an afternoon. Now, it speaks of Pharaoh dealing well with Abram and and giving him many possessions. That that takes at least a a certain period of time. Verse 17 speaks of God bringing great plagues, plural, against Pharaoh and his people. Great and and many plagues. That that takes time. This doesn't happen just, just overnight. This takes time. And so I think it's almost certain that Pharaoh slept with Sarai at least once. He even says in verse 19 that he had taken her to be his wife. He doesn't say that I almost took her to be his wife, like he does later on in a different narrative. Folks, this is horrific. Can you imagine this? What an incredible lack of faith, not just for a day or two, but for a season, even as Abram endangers his own wife to to, to another man. What a contrast between this and what we saw last week. Friends, this is the instability of our faith. This is who we are. Our faith is not constant. Our faith is not perfect. The level of our faith rises and falls as we deal with difficult circumstances in our lives. If we were honest, we would say that the instability of our faith is not even tied to our circumstances all the time. Sometimes our faith rises and falls. Sometimes we struggle with doubt just because being human in this world is hard. It's hard to live by faith. We are forgetful people who often do not stand fully on God's promises. But listen, it's important to know this about ourselves. This applies to all of us in this room, and it's helpful for us to to acknowledge it and to accept it about ourselves to some degree. Have you ever heard of the new new dieting app? It's called called Noom. Noom is a a new dieting or fitness app that specializes in, in talking about the psychology behind dieting and fitness, and I was just recently looking at it, and, and one, of the, one of the psychological ideas that it speaks of is the idea of normalizing failure, normalizing failure, not normalizing failure in a way that makes us comfortable and happy about failure, but normalizing it in a way that helps us not to spiral out every single time we fall off of our eating plan or fail to work out. Folks, I think that that is an even somewhat biblical idea. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God wants us to be okay with sin and failure. We are to hate sin in our lives and to put it to death whenever and however we can. But There is something biblical 
about acknowledging and even accepting the instability of our faith. There's something good about not expecting perfection in our Christian lives before we get to heaven. And this is so important for us because if you don't have a category for the instability of your faith, if you don't normalize failure in a sense, you are going to hate yourself every single time that you stumble through life yet again. And Scripture, God's holy and authoritative word, helpfully and powerfully paints a picture of God's people in which even the strongest men and women of faith, men like Abram, are at best sinners saved by grace. They are weak and they are frail. Their sin and their weakness haunt them almost every day of their lives. The the instability of their faith is a, a constant theme throughout Scripture. And so the testimony of God's Word and a primary purpose of this text this morning is to make us aware of the instability of our faith, to, to in a sense, stare it in the face, to not expect perfection in our lives, to not become too discouraged when we see yet another example of failure on our parts. Now, that should not make us more comfortable with sin, not at all. That should never happen. But it should make us all the more dependent on God's grace and all the more eager to stand fully on his word and on his promises. Seeing the instability of our faith reminds us that God's word and his promises are not unstable, but are fully reliable. And that brings us to our third and to our final point this morning. Point number three, the reliability of God's word. We all know what it is to have mountaintop experiences. And we all know what it is to fall off the mountain. We all know this experience and we have seen this text. We we have this text this morning to encourage and strengthen our faith despite this reality. Church, consider, consider with me how helpful this can be by considering with me who this historical account of Abram was first written to. This was first written by God through Moses to the people of Israel shortly after they had been delivered from Egypt. And so the people of Israel had just experienced one of the greatest mountaintop experiences in all of Scripture. The original audience, the people who read this for the very first time, had just been delivered by God from slavery in Egypt. He had sent ten plagues against Pharaoh. At the end of those plagues, he spontaneously told the Egyptians to give all their riches to the Israelites. And then he divided the Red Sea and let them walk through on dry land in order for them to escape. Talk about a mountaintop experience. But when Moses is writing this to the nation of Israel, they are now lost and confused. They don't know what to expect. Their faith has already begun to buckle under the pressures of daily life. They're they're hungry. They're thirsty, much like Abram was in our text today. They're considering going back to Egypt to find what they need. Their faith is crumbling even after having experienced one of the greatest acts of deliverance that God had ever performed. And so listen, they must have been so discouraged They must have been tempted to think about themselves. Man, what idiots are we? We can't trust God even for a week or two. They must have thought, you know what? I bet 
I bet the father of our faith, Abram, I, I bet he never struggled with faith in the way that we are here in this wilderness. That, that's who the original audience was. And so do you see how relevant the story of Abram would have been in that day? Even as the Israelites are, are fighting for faith and fighting against their own weaknesses, even as they are tempted to give up and to forget how trustworthy God's word was, Moses writes this historical account of what is really the first escape from Egypt. And listen, it is an escape from Egypt that does not highlight Abram's strength and faithfulness at all but highlights rather God's strength and God's faithfulness. It's a story that the Israelites needed to hear in the midst of all of their great weakness and frailty. It's a story that you and I need to hear this morning as well. Because we're a whole lot like Israel, aren't we? We're a whole lot like Abram was. But through this first exodus from Egypt, God is showing the Israelites and he's showing us today that even the father of our faith, the, the one through whom it all began, even for Abram, the reliability of God's word is not dependent upon the stability of our faith. He wants us this morning to see how trustworthy his word is. Church, the point of this text is to set our eyes back on God, to remember his promises, to not focus on the instability of our faith, but to remember how true his words are and to rest in those words, to rest in those promises. And folks, look at how this text reminds us of how trustworthy God's words really are. First of all, notice again up in, chapter, or up in verse 3, God had promised that he would bless him and make his name great. And he's already proving this to Abram in our text. We see here that, that Pharaoh gives Abram many possessions. Abram leaves Egypt a rich man despite his incredible sin. God is being faithful to his promise to bless him despite the instability of his faith and the, the lack of courage. Why? Because God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. His word is reliable, church. Second of all, notice, notice how God afflicted Pharaoh with plagues. He afflicted Pharaoh. Church, that is a direct and immediate fulfillment of verse 3 again, where God had said that for the one that dishonors Abram, he would curse God's already proving himself faithful to his word to protect Abram from his enemies. Abram, Abram didn't need to be fearful of Pharaoh. God had promised to protect him. Church, his word is trustworthy and true. God's promises are sure for his people. He promises to work on our behalf despite the strength of our faith in him. What great news that is for us today. And nowhere do we see this more, church, than through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nowhere do we see the reliability of God's word more clearly on display than how he sent his only son, Jesus, the incarnate word, to live and to die for his people. Through the gospel, God has proven himself faithful despite how weak we are. In fact, in the passage that was read earlier so well by MJ, it spoke of us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. We offer nothing to the equation, but God has proven himself faithful. And so church... There's a lot of comfort for us here this morning. God is demonstrating how, how trustworthy he is despite the instability of your faith today. 
There's comfort for us here. Rest in these truths. But church, there's not just comfort here. There is also a call for us here. There's an exhortation for us through this narrative of Abram and his lack of faith. God is calling us, Redeemer Fellowship, to greater faith. He's calling us to a greater trust in his word. The the call here is to seek to rest in the reliability and the stability of God's truth upon his word. To believe his promises over our lives. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly, but we can continue to do it imperfectly day after day because we know that his word will be proven true. And so, church, the call today is to set your eyes on Jesus again and on his many and great promises. To not focus on your failures today. To not focus on the instability of your faith, but to focus on the victory of Christ. To see his victory as your victory. To see him as the fulfillment of God's promises and to allow that to build your confidence that God is both present and active in your life, no matter how weak you feel this morning. Church, set your eyes on Jesus today. Take your eyes off of yourself and off of the instability of your faith and look at Jesus Christ, the risen King. Look at his word. Remind yourself of who he is and the great things that he has done. Church, this is why we must be in pursuit of Jesus every day, together and individually. This is why we set up Bible reading plans, because we need to remember his word is trustworthy and true. We need him on a daily basis. Set your eyes on Jesus. This is why we need fellowship groups, because we need others to remind us that the instability of our faith does not negate the reliability of God's word. Sometimes I can't remember that myself, and I need a friend to say, listen, here is who your God is, and here's what he's promised to you. This is why we need Sunday mornings, because we need to hear God's promises be sung by others and preached boldly from his word. Church, keep your eyes on Jesus this year. Don't focus on anything else but on him. Remember him. Remember his word. Remember his promises and rest in him and let his promises become your confidence day in and day out. Listen, I want to talk to the men in a particular way this morning as we close. Guys, I don't know about you. I do know about you. (laughs) We like to think of ourselves as strong. We like to portray ourselves to those around us as being stable and reliable. But for many of us, most of us, all of us, if we were honest, we would say that the instability of our faith haunts us on almost a daily basis. Most men in the church today feel like failures in some area of life. Most men in the church feel like their lack of faith and faithfulness is what characterizes their life more than anything else in their world. And whenever they see their weakness yet again on display, it pushes them farther and farther down. But men, listen, we need to in some ways normalize our failures, not expect perfection. We need to accept the fact that we are not going to be perfect in this life. In fact, we're going to be far from perfect, but that is not reason to give up and to stop trying to grow in Christ. That's not reason to stop serving our families and stop leading our homes. No, that is, that's not reason to, like Abram, throw our families under the bus because of our faithlessness. No, it is reason 
to link arms together as men in the church and together set our eyes on Jesus and to allow his word and his promises to be our confidence and our hope, to let the hope of the gospel, to let our king who's gone before us give us confidence and stabilize our faith so that we can pull ourselves out of those pity parties and and be able to be led by Christ to a more faith-filled, courageous life as we seek to care for those around us, serve the church, and love our family. Church, for all of us, God's word is fully reliable and it will not disappoint any man or woman that comes to it weary and broken and tired. God's word will not fail the brother or the sister who brings his brokenness and asks for grace and mercy to help in time of need. He will not fail. This is the reliability of his word and his promises.